Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm doing a quick cold open here because this will be a part two. You may not see it listed as a part one on episode 152, uh, Hawkeye Review episode three. It's because, I mean, when me and Nico recorded this just a couple days ago, my plan was to originally put it out next Wednesday. But then after we went off the air and me and Nico are still talking on the phone, Nico said, hey, I would like to come back on to do... Um, a spoiler-filled edition of Spider-Man No Way Home. And I said, oh, cool. I wasn't going to ask him to come out. I was going to you know, do it myself. But once he asked, I said, okay, cool. Uh, matter of fact, let's, I'll just, instead of dropping this and then trying to add them together, and I don't like doing that because then I feel like it's a skit where you mix a skit with a song on a record. Like, then you can't separate the two. And sometimes you just want to listen to the music and not the skit. So I was like, you know what? I'll just make this a part two of episode 152. And that way you guys will get double dose of everything this week. And then you'll get more of me and Nico next week. Um, that episode may not drop on Wednesday because I know he's going to be out of town. But he's but that gives me enough time to watch it because he says he's going to watch it Thursday night. I refuse to watch this movie this weekend. I'm not going to be in a packed movie theater, not because of COVID or anything, just because I don't want to be in a packed movie theater uh, with a mask on, uh, uncomfortable. So um, it will probably drop Thursday or Friday of next week, and that will be a part two of episode 154. So we'll just, we'll break it down that way. So I wanted to explain why you see part two, but you don't see part one. Anyways, me and Nico go about an hour, a little, I think it's like 59 minutes, like 48 seconds or something like that. But we go and we talk about a number of things. You guys ask for it. You guys ask me, ask him what's in his collection. We just spend the first 20 minutes or so talking about that. Then we go into the creative process and what we go through brainstorming, just some stuff that he wanted to talk about. Um, so I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. I think every time me and me, Nico come on, it's just, um, it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's fun. It's engaging. I'm happy he wants to come back on. I'm happy he actually asked to come back on. So um, go ahead and enjoy this, guys. Hope you enjoyed Hawkeye Episode 3 review. Hope you guys enjoy this. I'm Soul Chemical. Check it out. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I see things a little differently. I am the slow chemical. We have Nico back on by popular demand after he went on his uh, tangent about collectors. And uh, you guys, he had a lot of support from you guys. Um, I thought it was a fun conversation. Um, but out of that came the question of what is in our collection exactly. And you, we've talked about my collection of AEW figures and WWE figures, and I've told you guys before how, like, I don't know exactly what's in my collection, but we're going to do our best to name two or three things that we know comic book related that are in our collection. Um, I'm going to cheat and probably talk about action figures, but DC or uh, 
Marvel because they're right in front of my face on my wall. Um, but what's up, Nico? How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Um, glad to be back on. We got to kind of see each other a little bit over at ECC uh, last weekend. That was that was that was a fun weekend for sure. How'd you like it? Yeah, man, it was good. It was everything I thought was gonna be. I left there. I left Seattle more motivated. Um, even though I did both cons in the weekend, and I really and I was pretty beat up by Sunday. I, I can't lie. Like, I remember. I woke up on Sunday morning. I got up and my my ankle was hurt. I was like, "This is not even a thing that should be happening right now." But it was good just to go out there. Obviously, I went out there and meet John Cena, which was completely worth it. Um, but now it motivated me even more to. I already know uh, that once they put out the, the boost prices and everything for next year, EC. See, I'm gonna put my money down. I'm gonna have a booth out there. I know all that stuff. Um, already i don't care what time or year it is i will be there um it's everything i thought it would be for sure yeah yeah definitely artist alley was pretty was pretty amazing just because it was good seeing so many indie creators as far as comics i mean you know they had the, the fan artists and stuff too some great fan artists but there was a lot of comics people which was which was awesome to see for sure for me at least no absolutely i agree that the, the bigger the the networking opportunities, everyone can grow together. This is the future of the industry, so uh, we could all take it over together. You know, that's that's how I see it. That's how I talk about it on the show. Um, but yeah, while we're we're back, because a lot of people email me, DM me, they're like, "Man, he's right. Some of these artists shouldn't be charging as much as they are, um, or or they should at least be more mindful, do, do more deals." And I thought about two situations I had right that were just different. Then I then I want you to get to at least one or two things you have in your collection, and then I'll tell you my two things, and you can say what they mean to you, if you were ever to sell them or not, and we'll go back and forth, and we had some other topics to hit them today. But I remember one situation I had where I met, the thing that got me into my creative field, in general, just creative juices going, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So in 2019, uh, I remember vividly, I got a chance to meet uh, Kevin Eastman, co-creator of Ninja Turtles, and he was coming to Colorado Springs Comic Con, and I just so happened to be doing a panel. And I was like, oh, I, I, I was checking every day to make sure he wasn't canceling. I was like super excited because this is one of the people that got me on the path that I am on now. And um, meeting him was everything you could want and more. He actually did deals with people where if you bought certain comics, he would autograph two things for free, right? Now, I remember I bought this... Uh, First appearance of Casey Jones. It was a variant cover. Someone else did. Don't, I, it's somewhere in my. It's somewhere. Else. He signed that. He bought. I bought it. He signed it. It was like forty-five bucks for the book, but he signed that and he signed my other. I think he signed my action figure for free. So essentially, I got like two or three autographs. I got three autographs actually for forty-five dollars. So I thought about that situation, um, and then I thought about the situation where I had. I didn't have it with Rob Liefeld, but I remember being at LA Comic Con the same year, actually twenty nineteen. A bunch of people were complaining about him and his prices. He was pricey, but I mean, I only got one. No, I got two things signed. Um, a Deadpool, an old school Deadpool action figure from the uh, the Marvel toy biz days. Um, mm. Which he said was actually, he told me, he was like, this is my favorite Deadpool action figure of all time. I was like, I, was, I asked him, I said, well, is it because it's the first? He's like, no, it's just the most accurate I've ever seen. He's like, yeah, the Marvel Legends are cool now. But he was like, at that time, I had seen so many Deadpool action figures that were nowhere like, like the character. 
and this was the first one that encapsulated what he was supposed to look like. Um, so he actually took a picture with it and everything. Um, but I did get two things signed. Um, but he did make a deal, though. I think if you spend over 100 bucks, he gave you a toilet cover, did pull toilet cover that was autographed. Um, but he was pricey. But, you know, I mean, that like you said before, like you said that last episode you were on, it's kind of one of those things where once you know the price, you didn't have the right to not go there, you know? And so I, I remember my mind up to do it, um, but I didn't know some people got out of line, but it's, it's, it's hard to beat when you have someone that's charging 60 bucks and two blocks down like, or two rows down, excuse me, Jim Starlin is charging $5. Like it's, that's yeah. hard. That's hard to beat when you look at it. Like there was people who literally brought their entire collection for Jim Starlin to sign and they probably only spent a hundred bucks. That's not going to be every creator. But anyways, um, I did want to say that. But we're moving past that because that was just a fun conversation. But you guys wanted to hear what's in this collection. Can you think of one or two things that mean something to you that you have in your collection right now? Yeah, so um, I'm not, I don't have a whole bunch of original comic art from creators. But I do have a few pieces. Um, and probably my the the one that's most near and dear to my heart is probably um so i have an original superman page from a story that david lapham who is the uh creator of stray bullets i don't know if you've ever uh it's a it's been a a, uh indie black and white comic that's been going on since the 90s Uh, so i think stray bullets gets published with image now but um it's kind of it's 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 been around for for a while uh, but so he did a Superman story in like this um, uh, anthology book of just a whole bunch of different creators doing, you know, stories about the Man of Steel. And, and, and his his story was just this crazy story about this like cult of of Superman that was basically they basically um, worshipped him. And uh, Clark eventually had to show that he was vulnerable in order for like this cult to stop, like, you know, being so obsessive over him. Mm. Um, so he actually like created, or I forgot the exact how it goes, but he gets like this fake, uh, Metallo, you know, the, um, the, the, the villain who's basically like a Terminator robot that's like made out of kryptonite. So he basically makes like a fake one and, and, and gets the fake one to like beat him up in front of the cult so that the the cold can kind of stop being so like you know obsessive over like mm. you know superman and thinking that he's a he's an actual god so it's it's a crazy story david uh lapham he's he's a very like s- super unique storyteller like that he's very kind of quentin tarantino-ish in mm. terms of you know and and but you know in comics form right and um so yeah so i got the and and uh original page from that story and it's the page where um, Superman is 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 actually getting beaten up by Metallo. So he's like getting like crunched in the face and like stepped on and stuff. Um, and while while like the cult is like you know watching him, like oh shit, what's what's you know what's uh, happening? But a uh, beautiful page. Um, so that's a pretty awesome thing that's in my collection. Um, another thing that probably I don't know if. Uh, fans would you know care so much about but it's you know it's definitely in my collection and it's a huge thing for me uh so there was a a sci-fi book back in uh, i believe it began in the 80s but um me being a kind of a 90s kid 
Um, it was one of one of the maybe even the first comic that I ever read and actually, you know, looked at as, you know, you know, first first experience with sequential art was a was a, a, a book called Nexus. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of it. Maybe not. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, so I was in my local comic book shop one day and I was just kind of going through like their their, uh, you know, books and whatnot. Um, and I saw a graphic novel of Nexus and I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. Like, you know, it's like original print, like from, you know, probably from the 80s. Um, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I want to put this in my collection. And then I was going to check check out and then I, I opened it up and I saw that it was it was numbered and it was signed by Steve Rude and the original writer I can't remember his name right now but um but I was just like oh this is it, it was it, it was just an awesome awesome fine addition but yeah it was an awesome fine because it was like in the sale bin um first of all and then like it was just I'm pretty sure like as an early kid, like I remember reading, like having like a Nexus book and like just looking at all like these crazy sci-fi images and like this beautiful Steve Rude art. Steve Rude's an amazing artist. He's kind of a crazy dude, but uh, but his art's uh, impeccable. But uh, so yeah, it was just an awesome find to like get like you know one of the first experience I've had with comics, plus signed by the creators and like a super original find. Um, so yeah. That's 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 another thing that's in my collection that uh is pretty uh special to me. But uh but yeah. Yeah, so these are two random things I would have never thought about and not sure the fans would think yeah. about either and they, and, they, and they may not know, you know, but I think most of the time when it's your collection I think that's the key with collectors that some people don't like I, I honestly wanna say I didn't know who I was as a collector until two years ago. Like I, I still fall into the bad habit of buying stuff that I didn't necessarily want. It was more of the FOMO thing, like Am I missing out if I don't buy this particular figure, if I don't buy this and buy that? And so I think as you start finding yourself as a collector, it really becomes easier to know what you want and what you don't want. And Uh um, a lot of times people won't know the people in your collection because they're like, I've never heard of that person. But it's like you start talking to them about their collection for every person you guys may have in common. You guys have like five other people that's kind of like I've never heard that person before in my life, and it's like, <laughs> and, it, and it makes sense. So to me, I think that's why people also were so were, were so intrigued by by the conversation we had because it was just one of those things where it's even though it's yeah. spoke even though it's spoken about, I don't think a lot collect because a lot of times you don't know who a real collector is. A lot of times I mean, I've met people who like when I was at C two E two in twenty twenty, um, I was there I was there working and. I took a break and I was just walking around the con and I saw CM Punk was a wrestler and I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll get an autograph from CM Punk. That's cool. And I remember this guy who was first in line, had over a hundred things for CM Punk to sign. And I remember um, this guy that was in front of me, he actually, I held his spot for me, he held my spot for me. And he said, man, that's, that's a scalper for you. And he was like, you could just hear like the frustration in his voice. Not because he had to wait, yeah. but because of all the stuff he had. And he was like, man, this dude's probably going to upsell it, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. I remember talking to that guy later. I ended up seeing that guy later on. Uh, he walked past this booth that I was working at. And I was like, hey, man, make sure question. You were at the CM Punk thing, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I was like, you had a lot of stuff. He's like, yeah, 119, 20 things or whatever. Something ridic- some ridiculous number. And he was like, I was like, man, you're going to sell that stuff on eBay? He's like, bro, that's all for me and my family. I was like, what? 
I was like, get out of here. He was like, no, nah, dude. And he showed me a picture of his room. This dude was the definition of a, a, a collecting hoarder. Like, he just had, like, multiple autographs from all the people he's ever met. Well, I mean multiple. He had, like, five or six autographs from the same person. And sometimes it'll be this, and sometimes it'll be like the same figure or the same book. I'm like, this is kind of overkill, right? He was like, nah, man, you can never have too much. Well, if, well, if my house burns down, I might have, I, I, I could put this here and this here. I was like, oh, yeah, so you thought too deeply about this for me. But you know, it was just interesting to see it because we don't know who a real collector is nowadays unless we do talk to each other. And then you can kind of, I think people kind of then just say, well, that person's not, it's, you, you're a collector if you, if you collect whatever, right? But it's one of those things where I think you see something like that and you automatically assume that person is just messing things up for you and making other people upcharge and et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, I, I can't think yeah. of... Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like, in terms of me as, like, what kind of collector I am, like, I would I would love to be an uh, original art collector, but it's just an ex- insanely expensive I would say that's got to be pricey. You know? Because you know some of this stuff is is so beautiful, but man, the you know you go to some you know uh, great artist's booth and you know you you look at their original art pages and you know thousands upon thousands of dollars, and it would be amazing to 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 own some of that stuff. But yeah, it's just it's just a little out of the budget, at least now you know. And uh, but for for me, I think the biggest part of collecting. You know, whenever I'm trying to, you know, get stuff for my, you know, bookshelf or whatever, it's always about, you know, how did that creator or that story impact me? Mm. You know, that's why, um, you know, guys, like I was talking about uh, last podcast about uh, Tom King, you know, he's, you know, made some incredible stories um, that, you know, I love so much. So it was super important for me to get, you know, his autographs. And so I, that's that I'm, 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 you know, I pretty much base my collection in terms of getting things signed, you know, and then, you know, on, on, the, on the other end of things, you know, I'm, I'm getting books that I read and stuff. And I, I love having, you know, a nice bookshelf with uh, a whole bunch of various kind of art styles and artists, writers. And, you know, additionally, since I am a cr- creator myself, it's great to always have, you know, reference material right there, you know, in, in my collection. So if I'm kind of like, Oh, you know, maybe I, you know, need to see what a, you know, a, a star system might look like. You know, I can go and grab a sci-fi book off, or you know, if I'm looking for a certain expression and I can't really find it, you know, my my collection is right there to kind of check in on and see if I can find something that I can, you know, get some uh, inspiration from. So it's it's different. I'm I'm not really like, you know, would you say uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, or whatever? Right, right, right. You know. Whenever you start collecting comics, you you're, you 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 start you know on that path because you're like, oh, I really need to get that variant because right, right. You know, if, if if I don't get that variant, it's not going to be here tomorrow because they only got five, you know. But you know, I think once you know you take either the right or the left path into the collection or the reader mm-hmm. uh, ways, you know, I fortunately I, I I took the reader route. <laughs> So now I'm just like, you know, if it's a book that I really like and I'm reading, you know, just give me whatever cover. I don't care what it is as long as I got the book. Um, one copy, please. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't need one to put in a slab and then one to, you know, read. Um, you know, so, it, yeah, it's 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 interesting, like you said, to, to talk to other collectors and see, uh, you know, what's what's most important to them. 
um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 fun, right? Regardless which path you take, exactly. So um, the two things I I'm not gonna say what's near and dear in my heart because I can't think of anything that's Marvel or DC that's really like I know my one wrestling piece. And I think I talked about it on the show before. I won't talk about that because we're talking about Marvel and DC uh, or just comic books in general. Excuse me. Um, but I'm looking at the stuff that's on my wall currently. Like, the piece I have that I, I just got from John Cena signed, I have a Peacemaker action figure signed by Cena. That's pretty cool. Um, um, and uh, I get, I, and I don't know. Uh, Ray Fisher did sign the Cyborg action figure for me, so that's pretty cool as well. Um, but I can't think of, like, like, when it comes to comic book stuff, it means as much as the wrestling stuff. But because I've been collecting I I went through a period where I stopped collecting wrestling action figures because they were putting out the same people every wave. So that's where I found out that I don't like having doubles and triples of figures, right? But I never stopped collecting comics or or comic book things or figures. So to me, I have so many figures and comic books that are in boxes right now that are in two different states that... Next year, when I move everything in together, I'll finally know exactly what's in my collection for everything. But as of right now, I just don't remember a lot of stuff. And every time I go back to Atlanta, and every time I'm looking at a, a new box of stuff, like I always find something. Like this is wrestling, but I remember I was at, in Atlanta a f- few months ago, or maybe last year, or whatever. And I opened up a box, and that is at this really fire Bret Hart action figure. I didn't even know I owned it, and I was like, what? How did I not, how did I not know I have this? But I just I just I just one of those things where wrestling figures I stopped collecting for a number of years until like they just kind of stepped their game up. But with the comic book stuff, man, I never stopped collecting. So I just don't know exact. I know I know certain pieces. Like example, I know the I have the Batman anime series Batmobile action figure. I know for a fact I have not found this. If anyone has it, let me know how much you're charging for it. I have never seen, ever seen, not even on eBay, the Batmobile, not the Batmobile, the Batplane. I know they made one Batman anime series, Bat Airplane, whatever it's called, Batplane. I've never seen it. I've only, I've only known. Batwing, right? Huh? Isn't it, it's called the uh, Batwing. Yeah, the Batwing. Thank you. Thank you. I've never seen it. I've known two people who said they owned it, right? One person said he still has it and he says it's big or whatever. I, I'm, I I keep I keep I very rarely see this guy. So next time I see him, I'm going to remind myself to ask him to send me a picture of it. But I, the other guy sold it for like three thousand dollars, and I otherwise I've never even this thing is like a a, a unicorn. Um, so I kind of know those type of pieces. But see, that's such a big piece that you know you don't have. Like I literally just got the Batman Batmobile last year. And that was off of pure luck. I walked into the comic book store. I saw it was there. I, and I was like, holy crap, on a cracker, Batman. I need that in my life, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, no, otherwise, it's just so hard for me to talk about the, the, the comic book side of things because of that. Because I just don't remember. And I just, I just told you a story off the air about the Matt Fraction Hawkeye. Like, I didn't even know I owned it until, yeah. like, three weeks ago. So, um, those things yeah, mean something. Yeah, um, so figure-wise, like, I don't really, I have a a handful of things, you know, some Marvel Legends, some uh, DC figures and stuff, but the ones that I do probably like the most in my, you know, little small collection I have is the, um, so I have, like, a few, uh, 
like artist artist designer series mm. uh, AT figures. I, I don't remember what exactly they're called, but I I, I love those. Uh, so I have like a, a, a Jay Lee Superman. So okay. it's, you know, it's the it's the sculpt that's you know based off of of his version of Superman, and then I've got like. I'm sure you've seen the like the Batman black and white figures. Yes. So I have like the like the miniature versions of those. Like they 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 have like like for five or six bucks they have like the the the, the miniature versions, but like they're very well sculpted and like perfect for like a little like addition to a collection. And actually in in uh, uh, Seattle last weekend, um, I you know I bought one just randomly and I and I got the uh, uh, Mike. Mike Mignola Batman uh, <laughs> design, and I was like, "Oh hell yes!" Because you know, I, it's it, it's cool because like you know, they're so unique. You know, you right. can tell it's a Mike Mignola because it's got the drops, you know, shoulders. And uh, but yeah, I, so those those are probably the the cool the probably my favorite parts of my collection. I you know I I like when they're based off the actual artist designs. Sure. Uh, yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, and actually, my brother. It's funny you bring that up before we transition. My brother is a huge Mike Magnolia fan. Mac, I, say, I always say his last name wrong, um, but he was at San Diego San Diego Comic Con. I guess twenty nineteen. That's the last one they had, um, and um, he was there randomly because a friend of his owns a comic book shop and got him in for free. So uh, he he was there, and he just so happened to see one of those statues you're talking about, and it's, it's just so happened that he just as he right as he bought it from this guy. Like the story he told me was he bought it, he maybe walked like ten to twelve feet, and all of a sudden Mike is like in front of his face, and he was oh, like, shit. "Holy crap!" And my brother and me are very mild mannered fans, so we are not the kind of fans that actually will walk up to someone and ask them for their autograph. To be taken back, we will, but we have to be pushed into doing it, right? Like example, uh, a wrestler. Rick Flair used to go to this bar I worked at all the time. I, and I saw him for like three straight weeks. Everyone knows I'm a huge wrestling fan. They've already told Rick Flair I was going to go over there and talk to him. I was refusing for weeks to go over there because I was like, I'm not going to be that person. He's here to relax, blah, blah, blah. Finally, yeah. Rick actually came up to me. He was like, hey, man, you can take a picture and I'll sign something for you. I just don't want you to take a picture of me with this beer in my hand. It's just not a good look and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And so what to to now I got something autographed. So that's what he did. He get his wife, my sister in law, actually had to say, "Hey man, this is one of your heroes. You need to say something, or you're gonna regret it." And so he wouldn't say anything because we're just stupid. And so my sister in law walked over there and said, "Hey man, if he has to pay for it, he will pay. We will pay whatever you want." He is a huge fan. He just he literally just bought this statue because it was your uh, creation or whatever. Um, can you sign it for him? And he signed it for him free of charge, super nice apparently, and my, couldn't make my brother happier. Mm. So that that was a good that was that's just one of those things where it's just a, a good experience. It's just funny you brought him up. So, I'm, I'm so your brother got got Mike's uh, signature on the on the on the figure. Mm-hmm. Nice man. No, that's that's uh, yeah. Mike Mike Mignola is one of those those like top of the top for me. Like that, I would love to meet and uh, get some stuff signed because. You know, there's some people that, you know, there's the people that are like, oh, yeah, you're like, I want to get Ron Perlman's autograph because he's Hellboy. But, like, I'm like, you know, Ron Perlman's cool, but give me Mike Mignola's autograph. He created Hellboy, you know? Right, right, right. But, yeah, man, that, like, Mignola and Frank Miller are the two guys that, like, 
I hope I can get something signed by those 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 guys because those are you know pivotal and just in my comics history plus like you know indie comics history mm. you know it's especially Mike Mignola you know what he did with Hellboy and how he made it you know a weird quirky thing into like a giant property right uh, he, he yeah. sure did so as we transition uh you actually had uh, I guess one or two comic books or I don't know how you want to do it but um, you said you want to talk about uh, your comic book of the year, essentially, I guess, or your graphic novel of the year, whatever you want to talk oh. about. Um, yeah, no, I was, yeah, I just mentioned just kind of since it's you know winding down towards the end of, right, end of right. the year, just maybe talk a little bit about you know favorite favorite comics of the year, graphic novels that you know we've kind of uh, been able to read over the course of 2021, as it's been a little bit of a better year. But uh, just a, just a little bit, yeah. Um, and disclaimer, I was writing Messina, as all of you guys know, this entire year, and I had completely had tunnel vision with the... The only thing I could think about that I read, but it was so spread out, and it's not even done yet, is issues one through four of The Last Ronin, uh, which brought Kevin, uh, Kevin Eastman back to the, the, the Ninja Turtle series, um, which I thought was enthralling. I thought it was good storytelling, and it's not even over yet. It's still one issue left, and I don't. I have no clue when those issues are coming out because uh, I just don't pre-order comic books anymore. I just don't my i just don't do it but um that's the i, I can't give a vote for that because like i said because for me i can't i this is the first time i've actually written a story of this length and being able to do it at the budget i want to do it at so i needed to do it right and also at the same time i needed to tell the story i wanted to tell without me having any interference in me saying hey am i copying off this person i just needed it to be my story so I think that's the only thing I read. The last thing outside of that I read was House of X. So I'm going to just turn this over to you and you tell me what you thought your, your favorite stories were of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've read that first part of the uh, last room. I'm going to wait for it to get in trade and just uh, collect it there. But uh, I might end up picking up individual uh, issues. But uh, probably the first one I'll... I'll I'll, I have have like three or four. Um, So remember, I'm sure uh, the uh, listeners remember we were talking about Criminal a while ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ed Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, how they're amazing creators. Uh, But I think I mentioned on that podcast, Reckless. um, And I just wanted to bring that one up because I read that one this year and it was amazing. Uh, Incredible crime noir book, but much more positive than all their other work. Mm. Um, this one was, and the, the, the colors were amazing. Artwork was amazing. And Ed, Ed Brubaker just knows how to perfectly pace a, mm. a, 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 you know, crime fiction story like this. And, uh, definitely recommendation. And I think like the, tra- the, the trade only comes in hardcover, but I think it's only like 20 bucks or so. Mm. Um, so it's like an awesome, uh, bookshelf read. Um, other than that, uh, so there was a book that I had always seen stuff about, but um, I never really gave it a chance. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I'd, I always intended on giving it a chance because the art looked great, but I, I never really picked it up. But I finally picked it up. It's more of a, a all-ages book. It's called uh, Mouse Guard. Uh, you've probably never heard of it. But um, have you have you ever heard of the novel series called Redwall? Yes, I have. And yeah, so it was that that was huge whenever I was, you know, 
elementary, junior high. It was like a fantasy story about like mice and like, you know, basically Lord of the Rings, but, you know, mice. (laughs) And uh, so Mouse Guard is kind of similar in that. Um, It's, you know, it's about, you know, swords, sorcery type of stuff, fantasy, but in the in the context of like Woodlands characters, um, you know, mice and snakes and this and that but it's it's just so it's uh, beautifully illustrated by um david uh peterson he does these amazing um kind of just these compositions that are you know, like a mix of like frizetta plus like uh you know like an animator type type of style um so and it's 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 it's, it's a it's a quick read um there are some mature themes in it, but it's more, you know, all ages to where, like, anybody can read it, adult, kid, whatever. Um, but if you're a fan of, like, awesome fantasy art, I'd, I'd definitely suggest Mouse Guard. Uh, so I think that there's, I want to say that there's four graphic novels out um, right now. Um, each each of, the, each of the graphic novels, I think, takes place in a different season, so fall, winter spring blah 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 and i know that david peterson is working on um like this so through throughout all of the all of the books he always is always referencing like this war that happened a long time ago so the book that he's working on now is the book of the war mm-hmm. so it's going to be like this epic epic book um so if you're into fantasy and cool art definitely recommend that um and the other one is a book called I Hate Fairyland. Um, you might have heard of this, or you probably have at least heard of uh, Scotty Young, mm-hmm. uh, artist, cartoonist, more known for his writing now. He's doing Strange Academy with Marvel. Um, he's doing uh, The Me You Love in the Dark with um, uh, Image right now, kind of as, you know, he, he does a lot of creator owned books. Um, Middle West is another creator-owned book that he just wrote. Uh, but he started his career by uh, being like a, a, a writer-artist type of guy. And I Hate Fairyland is, is his big um, creator-owned book that he did all the artwork on it, too. And it's just, it's an insane book. It's, it's I did not, like, I kind of thought it was cheesy, because it's basically, it's about this um, little girl named, named Gert who has been trapped in, like, this candy fairyland land uh, for, like, 30 years, and she hasn't aged. So she's 30 years old, but she looks like, you know, a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And she's and she's just, like, pissed off and hates everything about this fairyland because she wants to go back home, but she can't find out how to do it. And she's just, like, it's 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 it looks like a kid's book, but it's mature as heck. Like, mm-hmm. she's, like, just, you know beating everything up like has a giant mallet just slicing everyone up and just like and is trying to find a way to get out of this fairyland but she can't um and it's it's hilarious the i like i did because i had seen this book a while ago and i never thought to pick it up but finally i was like you know let me let me give it a chance because i do like scotty young's artwork a lot because it's very you know it has a real cool kind of cartoony vibe to it very energetic similar to you know some of the you know the artwork that i do and that i appreciate um and yeah it's, it's just a it's a f- the definitely probably the funnest book i've read all year and it's 
dialogue is is really is really really smart um and there's in the the first volume it's you know it's it's got a, you know some good heart to it too it's not just about you know just messing up all these crazy creatures and like candy queens and stuff um but it, it's fun man it's it's fun and it's got some real good heart to it i think that one he's got like five or six trades out right now i think it's six um and he's been on like a, a, a hiatus on it but i know he's going to return to it at some point um and keep the story going but he's just you know busy doing marvel stuff and his other creator-owned work um but yeah so he's he's a, a inspirational kind of writer and artist because he juggles both art and writing um in different projects which you know i, I try to do as well um so yeah, those those three books, kind of three different books that probably you know on the on definitely on the top of my list. Um, Reckless, more of a mature read for sure. Um, Mouse Guard, definitely all ages. But like I said, if you're a fan of fantasy and some like amazing illustration, that book is is where it's at. And then uh, I Hate Fairyland is probably a good mix between Mouse Guard and Reckless. It's mature but cartoony at the same time. And uh, if if you've read anything from Scotty Young, you kind of understand like what what his style is. But uh, yeah, yeah, those are my probably my, my my top three books of the year. So yeah. So there you go. If you guys find it interesting, go pick them up at your comic book store. Actually, get the actual prints. Actually, feel the uh, pages in your fingers. Um, like I said, I can't contribute to that because like I said, I just was so tunnel vision this year with my own stuff and. Um, I am very much a creator in that way to where even when I do my music and stuff, I just can't listen to other people's stuff at the time. I need to focus on mine. If I'm like knee deep in it and it's just, I, I just can't do it. So um, maybe next year when the, it's, only, I, I'm actually working on one story. It's a one shot that I already wrote the panels out to and everything. I'm actually going to send it to the artist. Probably when I've done this with this interview, but I, I don't think, I'm working on too much next year in a comic book realm that isn't already done. So, um, the last thing we'll talk about today, something that uh, Nico wanted to talk about, as far as like this, the creating process of comics. And so, we're trying something different here. And I'm gonna start because I think I know where to start. Like, and I feel like we, we should start at the brainstorming process of, of a story. And I'm going to use my way of thinking about it and what makes things easy. What why I find makes things easier for me to get inspiration for a story. Um, so for me, example, when I start, I'm going to start with, when I, when I got the idea for Blind Men Lead, um, it was really interesting because I very rarely sit there and write synopsis and write out like an outline for my stories. I usually just have something in mind, right? But this particular thing, I said, I want to go dark. And I don't, I have no clue why I wanted to write something dark. I just, that, that just popped in my head and I said, I'm just going to go with it. So I wrote the synopsis out about this made up town of Mayfield. And I wrote the synopsis out and I actually sent it off to my brother. I said, hey, tell me what you think about this, this potential story. You know, am I wasting my time? Should I F off? What, what should I do? And he got back to me maybe a few minutes later. It was like, man, I, with the right way, that can be actually a really good story. I said, okay, I'm on to something here. And so the problem I have, one of my struggles, actually, is I hate naming characters. Because to me, that's such a 
important thing that you're sticking someone with. And I've always hated writing names or naming characters. Just it's just my if I have a weakness, that's my weakness. Is I overthink that part too much where then it just doesn't. That's why I usually now I leave that till the very end. I will get I will I literally this entire this for this next story I'm coming up with called the quiet part the one shot. I wrote down the story. I did the panels and everything. Wrote down the panels and everything. No one was named, <laughs> and I just came up with names like two days ago, and I actually feel good about those names. Um, but now I've reversed the role, so I feel a lot more be- better, a lot better. But it was with Blind Men Lead. It was more about being darker at the same time, making it to where people could relate. And to me, for those of you who don't know what Blind Men Lead is, for those who have not bought it yet, shame on you. Blind Men Lead is about uh, made up town in Mayfield. And it's a pleasant town. Nothing's ever gone wrong in it. The crime is 0%. And one day during Sunday service, the pre- the pastor's preaching. Uh, three guys come in and they kill the preacher dead in front of everybody. And everyone's shocked. And then they take the news camera and they say, more is to come later. Stay by your televisions. So they end up revealing that the pastor was molesting their children. But the real twist in it is they found out that half of the community of Mayfield made a deal with the pastor. Hey, don't touch my kid. I won't tell them that you're molesting their kid so that that they're smiling in your face, being your friend while they're letting the pastor do this to your kid. So essentially this turns uh, everyone into a, it turns the the entire community into a civil war. And um, the main character we follow, his name is uh, Sean. And we we see him as a kid, um, but we see like the aftermath because his father was the pastor's right hand man. And his father um, kills himself, which then leaves him and his mom pretty much screwed in the community. And so then it just leads to this whole civil war or whatever within the community where these kids are now being raised to hate. And it's just it's just it's just a fun fun, it's a fun story for me because I I got to write it. But I got to actually put some things in there that um, I feel were important to talk about as far as just like what happens when you find out someone's betrayed you this way and things like that. But anyways, my brainstorming about this was once I wrote the synopsis out, I just felt good with writing the story. And it was funny because even as I wrote my script, I went to this guy, his name is uh, David. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a number of years. I sent him the script and he liked it. He said, I like this script a lot. I really do. The problem I feel like is it's too dark. Like you need to have... I, it's, it's funny that Nico says about the MCU movies all the time. He says that they force humor, and I, I agree with him. But I told him, I said, man, anytime I was writing like little bits of humor here, felt like it was being forced. He said, no, trust me with the script. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna insert the humor when it needs it. But, but it, it needs to be this. I see this main character as being a sarcastic kid who just has been through the ringer like everyone else, but he refuses to stay down. Like I could see him being just a smart ass. I was like, all right, cool. So he sent so he sent me the script back and I read through it and I was like, man, this is maybe a little too funny now. I just didn't know how I felt about it. And then I ended up meeting someone else, the guy who ended up doing the drawing for it, who did the, all the artwork and everything. And he said, hey, I'm, I love the script. I'm going to take some executive liberties with it, though. Just letting you know. Uh, and so I said, okay, cool. So when I got the final product back, he cut 
certain parts of the script where it was just going too long. Like literally we, we, mo- we wrote a, a screenplay and it was like, it was, oh, it was for a three hour movie, dude. <laughs> you know, no, yeah, that's, that's the thing with comics. It's, you know, it can't be too slow because, you know, right. whenever you're, you, you, you know, you can't have like more than two or three pages of just straight dialogue in a scene. Cause it just gets so bogged down in the comic. Right. Right. And so it's one of those things where, um, and I was still new to writing comics as well, if I'm being honest, but at the same time, you mix me and David, and David was was not taking anything out from mine. He was just adding to it. So now you're adding more on top of what I have, and then it just. But he. But anyways, he cut it in the right in the right areas. And to me, even if certain parts, because I've I reread it obviously, even if certain parts felt like the humor shouldn't have been in there, it fit the character because he was he came off as being very sarcastic and. In, it was supposed to be very much a dry humor type of thing. In, anyways, either way, my brainstorming process with that was more of just something just hit me and said, I needed, I need, I, I want to go dark. And I just didn't fight that. And I learned that from doing music because when I did music, I might have been feeling a certain kind of way at one time. But like, like as I'm recording, I'm coming up with something completely different. And I remember I used to fight that feeling of, well, hold on a second. I'm in this mood. I'm in this good mood, but I'm trying to write this dark record. It ain't working. So I, I fought that for so long that when I actually started writing comic books and my career started going, I realized just to go with it. And I, as a matter of fact, I put myself in such a dark place with Blind Men Lead that when it was finally over, like this is before the panels and everything were done, but I sent it off to the, to the writer, or the, the artist, excuse me. And... I remember I was in such a dark place. I was like, yo, I need to get out of this place. I'm like, I feel terrible. And so then I I ended up writing a comedy um, that was uh, obviously the complete opposite called Inspecting Realities, which was turned out to be a a great thing for me. But I just didn't realize it. And I remember a few years later when I seen an interview with uh, Michael B. Jordan where he said how he had to go to therapy after he played Eric Killmonger. I was like, really? So I ended up clicking on the interview. He was like, I've never played a dark a character that dark before. He was like, I thought it was always fake when people said, man, I put myself in a dark place. But no, I was in a really dark place because I had to go there in order to feel this anger from this from this and this enemy or this this this, uh, this character. And I think he's probably one of the, the best villains the MCU's ever had. But I felt that from him because I didn't think that was a real thing. I didn't think you could put yourself in that kind of position, but. After going, and I didn't realize how long I was working on it. I mean, I started this project alone, and then I, like seven months later, we're still working on it. Yeah, it's done, but it's like it's all you've been consumed with for seven months is this just this dark muck. That So essentially, it just was like crazy. But anyways, that's part of my brainstorming process. I hope I explained that good to you guys. It's just more of I just kind of go with the feeling, and I just, that, that was one form of brainstorming is what I did with Blind Man Lee. But can you explain that your, your side of that or how you brainstorm? Yeah, I mean, for me, I have, it's, there's kind of two really solid foundations of it because, you know, on, on one hand, I could be writing and just writing, you know, maybe doing uh, lettering as well. And then on the other hand, I'd be writing and doing the art. <clears throat> so when I'm, you know, whenever I'm trying to do, you know, doing you know writing and art duties pretty much everything it's 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 kind of a a much different process maybe not generating the idea because 
ideas i feel like ideas come to me all the time you know i have a i have an app in my phone that i'm called a Jotterpad, which is if there's any uh writers or artists or anything out there Jotterpad is uh it's and you know quick easy awesome app that you can just kind of get your ideas down get them uh very organized and they can you know go straight to like a dropbox file um so it's i'm i'm always constantly when i'm thinking of stuff just you know, even if it's like a, a clever title that I think about, you know, I, I jot it down. If it's something happens or something I think about, you know, this guy does this thing and this thing happens to him, I, I jot it down. Um, and, you know, whenever I'm I'm doing formulating scripts and doing the art, it it usually it usually starts with quick storyboards for that. Um you know, I'll, you know, say I'll, you know, I want this uh, knight to, you know, take on this army and then die at the end. So I, 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 if, if, if I'm doing the drawing as well, I'm usually not going straight into a script. I'll start, you know, kind of thinking, okay, I want this to be like an eight page short. So I'll go straight into my, uh, I have these little small sketchbooks that I get from um, Hobby Lobby cheap you know five six seven dollars and i just do quick rough rough thumbnails pay you know get the you know five six panels um start kind of getting you know mid shots close shots uh, uh wide shots and just kind of start formulating everything like that and then once i have you know that full you know eight page story kind of storyboarded out um that's kind of when i start you know developing details on it as far as the script goes and start thinking about okay in this panel this guy says this with a caption of this so it's I, I don't know if that's kind of like a backwards way of doing it but maybe a lot of artists do that um hmm. instead of going straight into like you know typing up a script or straight into typing up a typing up a you know full length you know page uh plot summary or something because it's, it's it seems to me like like you you probably you, you so you try to get the, the the plot and everything down in a in a document right off the bat right not necessarily so really? so it came off that way with that particular story but that was because i had something in me just said dark nothing else right but like for me personally if i can know where i'm going Example, right? So there's this rapper named Fabulous. He there was this documentary I watched one time where it was showing how he writes his rhymes. He writes his rhymes from the bottom up. So he starts at the sixteenth bar, which is the very last bar of a verse, and then he ends up putting everything around that. And I feel and and like with Christopher Nolan, he said his original vision for the Dark Knight trilogy was how dark uh, the very last what was that very last Batman his trilogy called Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Um, he said that last scene was what he originally pictured being his last scene. And if he was to do a trilogy, that would have been his last scene. The first scene you see in Batman Begins is what he envisioned as being his very first scene. Those two scenes never changed. For me, if I can see the end scene, everything else doesn't matter. I can start wherever I want to. And that's kind of what I that's kind of what I did with this new comic, this one shot I'm doing called The Quiet Part. Like I essentially knew the end. No, I knew the exact end and what was gonna happen at the end. Everything else I literally just filled in as I as it came to me. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, yeah, I think I think I get 
I get that too. Um, whenever I'm just doing scripts, because scripts to me, you know, once I, you know, idea generating the idea and the inspiration behind it, it's very hard to tangibilize for me because, you know, that just kind of comes out of like living and like, you know, my everyday life. I get this idea, I type it down. I get this idea the next week, I type it down, and then I'm like, oh, wait, those two can kind of connect, and maybe mm. those can get into something, you know, bigger and more full. And then, and then you know, I, I generate from there, and then, okay, now I've got a concept, a premise. And then I think I go into that stage when I'm just doing scripting that you said, where, like, I can, you know, I envision, like, that opening shot, you know, close in on a guy sweating. He just ran from the cops. Um, next panel, sirens, lights going off. Next panel, wide shot, and we see, you know, we see the criminal or whatever surrounded by a whole bunch of cops. You know, like I, I can see like that origin, like that first scene, mm. and then I'll go into that script. And when I'm scripting, like it's very, you know, Stephen King talks about it all the time, where he's like. The first draft of his novels are completely and utterly a, a disgrace compared to his final product, mm. you know, because it's so foreign, it's so alien to what it actually ends up becoming. I try to write at the seat of my pants just like kind of, kind of like that. I feel like I, I generate things more organically and to where like, you know, I'll put a panel description down and it'll be just like a real quick thing, like, you know, man sweating, you know, and then I'll go right into the dialogue to start, you know, try to get that as natural as possible. So my 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 descriptions at first are very sparse because I feel like as long as I get like that vision out of my head mm. onto the paper, I can go back later on and fill in, you know, the what you know, what what's surrounding it, you know, what the air is like, if it's night or or, or daytime or whatever. Um, as long as I get that visualization out on the script with, you know, start thinking about like some fluid dialogue. Um, but yeah, I, I think I have that same sentiment where I'm kind of, you know, I can see that first, that first image. If I can see that first image and that first scene, like I can start riffing off of that pretty well. Same probably goes for, you know, when I'm doing art as well, but I'm just kind of formulating all that stuff in the quick kind of thumbnails and uh, storyboards that I'm doing. Um, yeah. So those yeah. are kind of the two, the, the, the two avenues that, that I've kind of been able to um, juggle. And I, I think the same thing with you, how you said that, um, you know, if you were working on like that dark story for a good while, you know, after that you're kind of like, Ooh, man, like I need something light now. I, I, kind of had that same thing with feeder um because it is a it's not the darkest story in the world but it definitely is you know a dark fantasy horror book um with you know a lot of kind of emotional stuff going on so after that i had to do something like uh, uh prim and the lunar turning where it was more of like an animated kind of surreal colorful uh adventure book um and then into you know some of the stuff that i'm doing now um so yeah, yeah, I kind of have that same sentiment as you. Yeah, and so for me, last thing I'll talk about on this topic, and because we'll, we're going to talk about more topics down the road, um, but for me also, it's, it's just 
I don't like, and, and this is something I got from doing music. I don't like brainstorming for too long. Cause to me, I feel like that hurts my creative process. Like example, um, I remember I used to write music. Oh, I still write music, but when I, when I used to years ago and I would sit down and listen to a beat and I would just like sit down and try to, to listen and write at the same time. When it's like, I don't actually, for me, the kind of person I am, I don't actually need to write to the beat. I can actually fit everything I need to say to the beat, but it's like, I don't need to hear it. Like, it's why I said to you about earlier about why I didn't read any stories this year for the most part, because I couldn't have that stuff in my, in my, my vision because of the vision I had for my story. And I just need to focus on my stuff. And for me, it's how I feel about, about brainstorming a lot of time. I feel like it's like just sitting down to a beat and just trying to force something to it when it's like, it's going to come when it's supposed to come. Like example, what you said about, you getting that vision out of your head. Like to me, when I do actually do my panels and stuff the Marvel way, now, kind of. So like I wrote the panels out what I see, but it's very, as you said, sparse panels. Hey, this is what I want. Then me and, me and this artist have been working together for three and a half years now, maybe maybe a little bit less than that, actually. So probably like two years, two, two and a half years, something like that. Anyways, um, so he then sends me the panel. I see what I want to change, if anything. Um, sometimes it is changed because now I've seen what it looks like when the, the guy is sweating or running from the cops. I'm like, no, no, this needs to look like this and this needs to look like this and then whatever. But sometimes he comes up with something on his own. Now, with this guy, it's not because he's not capable of doing it. It's just because it's a language barrier. He's he um, he's from Indonesia. He lives in Bali uh, and, and sometimes and like like a lot of times he's not used to the things I'm having him write or excuse me, draw. And so. A lot of times I have to explain stuff to him. I remember he asked me a question about because we're working on meme generation and he asked me a question because he sent me some panels with the kids and some of the stuff they were wearing just looked freaking weird. And I said, do they wear this where you live at? And he was like, well, I live in a village. And I was like, well, that changes everything. Yeah. No one's wearing this stuff, dude, in America. Don't don't do this again. And so like (laughs) and it was like it was just one of those things where I have to actually I do have to lead him now. He is very much a good comic book artist, so he's seen co- enough comic books to where some things for him just make sense. He he knows where to go, but for me, I just I do write this. I write them. Some things are very like with this one, the quiet part. Um, there are some panels that are written because I know the vision for that particular thing and I know what I want to do. So it's like boom. So like those things are written, but for the most part, everything is sparse until I see the panels and then. I'm like, all right, cool. This is what we. This is what leads to look like, and this is what this person needs to look like. So no, that's my only thing with with brainstorming is, I don't do it too hard. Like, I'm okay with sitting down and brainstorming for ten minutes. I am not okay with brainstorming for two, three hours. That's not something I'm gonna do. No, yeah, totally. I th- and I think that that's that same kind of writing style that I was talking about, like the seat of your pants. Like, you're there. You're thinking, you're flowing, you're getting everything out of your head, you're putting it down on paper, then constructing it from there rather than, you know, typing out a sentence and being like, oh, do I want that thing to happen like that? Or do I want it to happen like this? Uh, what what was that guy's name again? Because I'm the same as you. Like, I'll get the names later. Like, names are names are the materialistic stuff, you know? I'm trying to get to the, to the real uh, meat and potatoes of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, I'm totally, totally right there with you in terms of you can't sit there and mull over everything. You've got to, well, I mean, I won't say that you have to because everybody has their own writing style. I'm sure I know that there's 
writers out there, both uh, prose and novel writers, um, and you know, comics writers or any other type of writers that sit there and they will write a very detailed outline first act this happens this happens this happens this is the climax you know they'll detail everything out and stick to that to that roadmap but um yeah for me it's you know i might do a little bit of that very very just quick you know cliff notes of things Mm -hmm. but um for the most part i'm there just kind of letting everything flow out um naturally instead of thinking about it too hard right right so uh for me i'm gonna leave it there because i I think i want to stretch this out a little bit more as far as like the creative process i think where i know where i want to go next but um anyways nico thank you for coming on tell them where they where they can find you yeah you can find me on instagram at nico writes n-i-c-o underscore w-r-i-t-e-s same thing on twitter um actually just at the time of uh recording this i just announced that i'm gonna uh start serializing a uh weekly um fantasy a webcomic called Roba Prehistoric Wizard. Um, it's kind of an all-ages fun um, dinosaurs meets magic, whole bunch of crazy monsters, and just uh, some energetic artwork. Uh, so I'm going to be uploading uh, new pages weekly. At, at the very least, a new page every Wednesday. So if you guys follow me on Instagram, I'll be posting that um, every week and kind of progress and um, snapshots of, of, of the webcomic. And, um, you know, if you, it's totally for free, so there's no excuse not to read it. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, hit me up on Instagram, follow me there, and all the cool free details will be there, so. Sounds good. I am so clinical. That is Nico. Um, as also, just for those who I know some people are going to ask, as of this recording, this is t- t- literally a, a day or two days before Spider-Man, so that's why we have not talked about it. Um but I've, I just know what people are going to think when I drop this next week. Uh, but no, we have, that's why we're going to talk about because the movie's not even out yet. I'm probably not even going to see it until the following week because I just don't feel like being um, in a bunch in a bunch of rooms filled with people now. Because the movies I've been going to, like Eternal, Shang-Chi, even though they've done well at the box office, they've been I've been able to go into movie theaters where they're practically empty. I'm 1,000% sure from Wednesday to Sunday no movie theater is going to be freaking empty with this movie. So I'm not even going to indulge in that. I think Nico's going to watch it, but uh, maybe when he comes on next year again, we'll, we'll talk about that and whatever else got, he got going on. And cause, uh, cause we do have part two of that, this uh, creating sessions happening, but that is Nico. I am the slow chemical. That is, I see things a little differently. We are out.